Hello, spreaders. Welcome to the spread. I'm your host, Kaz. And just in case anybody was wondering if I'm feeling better, yes, I am. My voice is almost 100% back to being normal. And thank you for checking in, those of you who did. None of you did, but whatever. So listen, I'm just trying to stick to my promises this last month of 2018 and delivering two podcasts a week. So this is the second one of week one. Do you think I'll be able to end the year at this pace? Should we make a bet? Like how much? Can all the proceeds come to me? That's a bet I'm willing to shake on. Anywho, too much nonsense talk. Let's get into today's episode. But wait, before I do, are you in Nairobi? Are you aware that it's the holiday season? And you may want to buy a few of your loved ones some gifts, am I right? Well, I have the perfect plan for you. This and every Sunday at The Alchemist in Westlands, we have the Nairobi Flea Market where you can shop till you drop, literally. We are also introducing an organic farmer's market, which is going to start at 11 o'clock this Sunday. So make sure that you head over and get your fresh organic produce. Also, there's live music. And this Sunday, we're going to be featuring Maya Von Lecco. So please don't miss out. That's at The Alchemist this and every Sunday. Have I told you guys we're now on Spotify? Yes. If that's where you like to listen to your podcasts, please be sure to follow us and subscribe to our podcast because we are all about growth. And please, for those of you who are listening on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really, really means so much to us. Okay, okay, okay. Today's episode, okay. So, today's episode was recorded a little bit earlier this year, a few months ago actually, while I was in the US touring with the spread. And I am so over the moon for this episode. Like, I was literally just sitting on it and waiting for the perfect opportunity to release it. I'm so honored to have had the opportunity to interview, wait for it, Kevin Allison of the wildly popular podcast, Risk. One of my favorite podcasts of all time, like OMG guys, like get on it pronto. Uh, All the details are in the description box below. And Kevin was so wonderful to talk to and such a mastermind at storytelling. Guys, like for real, let me not stretch this any further. Please just enjoy this episode of The Spread and welcome Kevin to the family. All right, ladies and gentlemen, in the studio today, I am in an apartment in Brooklyn, which is kind of a semi-studio as well, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my guest host for today is Kevin Allison, who, for those of you who listen, this is my favorite podcast of all time. It is Risk. 
Oh, I mean, that's so I, great. It really is. It really is. I love Risk and I'm always putting people on it all the time. So um, Kevin is the brains behind Risk. Also, if you listen to the podcast, he's the host behind Risk and um, one of the greatest storytellers of all times. <laughs> Oh my God, that might be going a bit far. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that. I'm allowed to say that. So for those of you who are not aware of the podcast, Risk Kevin is going to tell us a little bit about it. But if you go into the description box below, there is a link that'll take you directly so you can subscribe. They're available on all of the platforms where you get your podcast. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin. Hello. <laughs> yes, Risk is a podcast. The whole idea, because I grew up, knowing that I was gay from like the very beginning of consciousness, which I think is really rare. Uh, you know, people usually put that together in their minds, in their conscious minds when they're maybe, you know, in junior high, say. But I grew up as a tiny little kid knowing I was gay and being terrified about it. And so I was incredibly super conscious throughout my entire childhood that there were certain things that people acted like they, you know, I, 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 I realized that people were hiding things and that there was a lot of pressure to appear normal and to not be saying certain things about what's going on inside yourself. I was very aware of it for myself, but I also could just tell from the way that other people were speaking. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, a pretty conservative Republican town in the Midwest. And I just knew that, that there was this tremendous pressure to be quote-unquote normal, to keep things hidden away, not to share certain sides of yourself in mixed company. So by the time I was about to turn 40, I had come to a place where I was very frustrated with my creative life because I had spent so much time trying to figure out what was okay, what parts of myself were okay to be on stage in order to attract the acceptance of Hollywood casting directors and Hollywood, you know, um, agents and managers and stuff like that. I wanted to figure out, okay, what's acceptable? What's palatable? And finally, a friend said to me, screw that. That's getting you nowhere. Just get up on stage and start telling your own true stories don't think about what other people are going to say about it. Just tell the truth. And I said, oh, God, that feels too risky. And he said, well, if wow. it feels risky, then you're probably opening up to people. So people will probably open up to you in response. So I created this live show and podcast called Risk where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share in public. And... Some of the stories are about people's sex lives. Some of the stories are about their family lives. Some are about their spirituality. Whatever it is, these are true stories where people feel a little uncomfortable revealing quite such intimate stuff about themselves in public. The idea is to kind of push the storyteller a little bit to step out on a limb and reveal a little bit more of themselves than they're used to revealing in mixed company. So some of the stories are hilarious and some are terrifying and some are beautiful. Not all of them have to do with sexuality, but an awful lot of them are. 
a lot of my first stories that I ever shared on the show were about being a kinky gay man who's had a lot of crazy adventures in the kinky Which realm. makes for the best kind of stories. They're super fun because, you know, there's so much discovery. There's so much self-discovery that happens when you, you know, kind of push boundaries and try new things with people. That's One true. of the things that I think is so fascinating about Risk is... We get emails every, you know, like at least once a week, someone will write us an email and they'll say, oh my gosh, I guess I didn't realize that consent and negotiation can be really kind of sexy and interesting in their own in their own realm. Like we've had very, we've had a lot of stories on risk that kind of walk you through the steps of how people negotiated with one another and explored things together and got one another's consent and decided to try wildly different things than they'd ever tried before. And it's really fun to hear listeners respond to that and think, gosh, I didn't know that other people were able to communicate so freely with one another. Or I didn't know that other people had a weird fetish for that particular thing. I I always thought I was a freak, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think the more that we talk about these things or the more that we allow for a space for people to talk about these things, then then it it opens up doors and people are like, oh, wow, you mean this thing that I've been feeling and covering up for all these years is actually something that's a thing that I can talk about. That's how I discovered my sexuality and my I'm now just like recently introduced into the kink and BDSM world and yeah. just discovering all of these wonderful things that I absolutely love. And also being able to do it without you know, listening to the little devil that sits on my left shoulder and it's just like, the reason you're into pain is because of trauma and like abuse. And, you know, it's just like, no, actually, I'm just into this because this is a thing that I'm into and I'm, I want to explore, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> By the way, my cat, if you're hearing a lot of noise, my cat is scratching in his litter box, which is very near where we're sitting. I really like that we sometimes have an extra guest host every so often. <laughs> I've had a child, I've had a dog, I have a cat. It's Okay. You know, anyone who has a kink for hearing cats scratch their litter boxes. Well, there we go. I learned about this. There's an acronym for it. And I can't remember what the acronym (laughs) is, nor can I remember what the actual term is. But it's like people who have the kink for listening to specific... Oh, is is it maybe ASMR? That's the one. That's the one. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting, like, subtle noises that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating and crazy. It is. I love learning about different people's kinks um could you maybe share with us one of your initial stories um about anything absolutely anything that you want but of yours that's personal when you started risk uh you know well as far do you mean uh, like a kinky sort of story no completely up to you oh well it could be about your cat <laughs> it, could, it, could, it could literally be about anything i'm actually just interested in the story right well you know 
when I started Risk, I realized right away, like what had happened was my friend Michael Ian Black, who was a member of my sketch comedy group, I was in a sketch comedy show on MTV in the early 90s called oh, wow. The State. Yeah. Um, a lot of people might be familiar with a show called Reno 911 yes. or Wet a Hot, Wet Hot American Summer. Those are all members of the state. My sketch comedy group are also in those projects. Got it. So anyway, um, the state broke up and for 12 years I didn't know what the hell I was doing with myself. And then I started Risk. The way it happened was it was my friend Michael Ian Black from the state who said take a risk, go out on stage and tell a true story. So the true story that first occurred to me that I thought would be the most risky story that I could tell would be about the first time I tried prostituting myself when I was 23 years old. Um, I was very, very poor. The state was actually waiting to hear whether or not we were going to get a contract to be on MTV or not. We were kind of in limbo. And one night a friend convinced me to go to a hustler bar, which they don't exist anymore, but in the 90s they did, uh, where, you know, older men, all of whom look like bankers and Republicans, <laughs> uh, buy younger guys. Um, and so I went and... I had a terrible time. I, I, I met this guy and we got in a cab together and I was immediately like, did not like his vibe at all. Did not trust him. The negotiation was not going clearly for me. So I started fighting with him and we, we got into a tussle and it was ridiculous. We were literally like hitting each other. In the back of the cab. In the back of this cab. <laughs> until finally I yelled out to the cab driver, driver, pull this over, let me out of here. And I jumped out. Um, so I tell I tell this story as a sort of a comedy of errors. You know, when I tell it in its 20-minute uh, long or 15-minute long form, I go through all the little funny nuances of the back and forth between the two of us. But the first night I shared that story when I went to the UCB Theater in Chelsea to share it for the first time, I was terrified. I, I had deliberately chosen what I thought was a risky story because I thought a young man, or not young, I was 40 at that point, admitting that he had prostituted himself is something that might, and, and getting into some of the nitty gritty of the gay sex that this guy was trying to initiate in the back of this cab, I thought it felt very risky. So what happened was, was that I was shocked at how well received it was. In fact, those, the, I am the kind of person, you were talking about shame before. I'm the kind of person who has dealt with an, an immense super ego of shame in my psyche uh, for a long time. I my mother was very, very puritanical about sex and very much one of those moms who is very, very, very in your space and in your head. Uh, I love my mom very dearly, but there's no getting around the fact that, you know, she left a, 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 a big impression on me of being 
scared and afraid and shame filled about being a nonconformist in most ways, but mostly around sex, you know? So, um, when I got up on stage, I had those voices in my head that always beat me up. Those voices that say to me, oh, you sound so gay right now. Or, oh, God, you sound a little bit bland and Midwestern and too polite. Or, oh, God, you, you're, you're so absurd. You're so goofy, you know, like tone it down. You know, that was the way that my mom used to speak to me. So you were hearing her voice. Kind of. I mean, you know. The, the, Is I, your shame voice your mom's voice? No, no. I, I should clarify that that I think that it starts with my mom, but that I but I'm responsible for it. I really yeah. picked the ball up and developed that uh, my own version of that shaming voice. So I found myself that first time on stage, I would get to those points in the story where I was saying something and all of a sudden I think, oh God, that sounded kind of gay or whatever. <laughs> and then I found that the audience, I just kept going and the audience just kept opening up to me more and more. So I realized, gosh, people are going to judge you no matter what, you know, like like whether you're shy or whether you're forthright or whatever, people are going to judge you. So you might as well just make your attempt at being as authentic and revealing as you possibly can about the truth because you've only got one life to live. And here on the stage that night, I saw this enormously positive response and I realized, oh, there are people out there who are hungry to hear other people being as honest and revealing as they can be. There is definitely a place for this out there. So th that very night after telling that story and seeing how well people reacted to what I thought was such a risky story, I walked away realizing, oh, I'm on to something here. I should create a show that does this. And at first, Risk was mostly comedians because I came from a co comedy background. Yeah. So it was mostly people like, and, and and I knew a lot of well-known people. So it was people like Margaret Cho or Sarah Silverman or Mark Maron uh, or Janine Garofalo coming to do the show. And that was all very nice. But what happened was the fans started to get the show and they started writing in. One of the first cases, I think we're going to run this soon, rerun it because we've started rerunning some of our old stories a young lady reached out and she said she wanted to talk about being molested as a child. And she really wanted to tell that story in a very uncensored way. She wanted to like, like not beat around the bush, but, but let us know exactly how she felt. When she, and this is between the ages of like five to eight mm -hmm. in her life. Mm -hmm. So very, very precious, tender, powerful memories. I sat down with her to record it, and this was very early on in Risk's existence, and I was just overwhelmed. I was crying. She was crying. <laughs> I mean, it was it was kind of overwhelming. So when we were done with this, the recording session, I said to her, I'm going to give you this recording. Uh, don't feel like there's any pressure for us to run this on the show 
or anything. I'm just going to give you this recording. You can listen to it, see how you feel about what you said, and then get back in touch with me and maybe we can record it again, you know, to, to, to you know, any missing pieces, all that kind of thing. Or maybe you'll decide, ah, I'm no longer comfortable with putting this out there. So I wanted to, I always want the storytellers on risk to feel empowered about what they're doing and not feeling like I'm yanking something of from course, them. Yeah. yeah. So she came back about a year later and she was like, wow, that was really powerful listening to that. I do want to record another session to hit on some things that I left out. So we recorded it again and then we did a third session actually. So we recorded it three times and then cut together all the best parts of it. And it was a really powerful story. It's really upsetting, though. Here's the thing. There are shows like, there are shows on national public radio, like uh, The Moth or This American Life, where a, a big part of what they do is that they have to package things in such a way so that the listeners out there who might be listening on the radio and maybe driving their kids to soccer practice while listening or something yeah. like that, mm -hmm. They want to make sure that the material is not so emotionally intense that it's off-putting to people or, you know, ruins people's days or, or... Or prevents them from listening on their way to soccer practice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or they feel like, I can't, I gotta, I can't listen to this with the kids, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Risk, we don't have any of that to worry about because of the podcast. Like, we let people know, oh today's episode is going to go into some pretty dark territory. And so we don't feel the need that the story has to end necessarily on a big, upbeat, happy feeling if that's not true to the real story. Mm -hmm. So it was quite something to put that young lady's story out there. And what was amazing to me was that she wrote us back about a week after it had gone on the podcast. She emailed me to say, oh my God, I have been talking about those incidents of the molestations um, in my therapy for 10 years. And yet I have never felt as much like I've kind of taken ownership of it and, and as much like I've kind of like like I'm standing on top of it now as as I do now that I put it out there publicly on wow. your show that's a breakthrough yeah yeah you know it's it's there's something about sharing a story because I think what happens with most people is that when they're sharing on risk, they might start off thinking, oh, this is going to be like taking a verbal selfie or something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? But it's not. It's not. It's not necessarily presenting the best side of yourself like you would on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, of course. Instead, it's kind of an offering to the listener of... Let me share some stuff I'm I'm uh, embarrassed about or or maybe not so proud of or have very mixed feelings about or, or or am maybe still a little traumatized about or am secretly ecstatic about but but 
I, I've worried about saying it in front of people before. Let me offer it to you in the hopes that you might get something out of it. And that's the profound part is that the listeners are constantly writing into us saying, oh my gosh, well, I've never been to a kink camp before, but I was so emotionally like illuminated by the emotions that that person described in their experience at a kink camp or oh my gosh uh I heard about that woman wanting to commit suicide and trying to do it and some of the thoughts she described like were so resonant for me that I was so inspired to hear how she got through that so there's just something very very humanly connecting about offering these stories to the audience because it opens something up in the listener too. And I feel the same way about comedy, which is why comedy is so funny because a lot of the time comics are telling those kind of stories, but, you know, finding light versions of like really horrible things that happen. Right. And I think that comedy is just basically satiric in that sense. Uh -huh. Because it's just, it's really just like, this is a really disgusting part of me or something that I would ordinarily find shame in. But how about I add a really fa funny angle and then just tell you the story of like how I shit my pants in a cab. Oh, you know? yeah. What I mean, for example. I, the comedians that I have always been most inspired by were the ones who were able to get the the realist you know that's true um you know it's right now a lot of people are talking about hannah gadsby's show uh nanette which you can see on netflix and it's it's a kind of a hybrid between a stand-up comedy show and a one woman show and so there's a lot of it's funny that it, it's upset a lot of it seems to have upset mostly straight white male comedians okay. <laughs> uh, because it dares to not be funny sometimes. Okay. It's got a lot of funny parts and then it dares to venture into territory that is not funny. And that is what I love about storytelling. Yes. That storytelling really affords you the authenticity, like there is something just not authentic about feeling like I'm going to tell people some truths about me, but I'm really going to make sure that they're laughing once every eight seconds. Like, obviously, that is an art and a craft and something that we all absolutely love and have enjoyed before. But when someone wants to kind of break out of that format like this, like Hannah Gadsby did with Nanette, it's really refreshing to see someone be able to get laughs every eight seconds for about 10 minutes straight and then lead you into territory that's like, all right, now we're not going to laugh for two or three minutes here while I get really, really real with you. Because she uses such a storytelling sort of uh, vibe throughout her show. And I think it works remarkably. And I think that, you know, more power to the comedians who are kind of willing to get a little more real at times. I feel the same way about Dave Chappelle and the, the special that he did for Netflix. I feel like that that was very much that, like, very real <laughs> 
He stories. has definitely done some exploring with storytelling. Oof, yeah, yes. yeah. He definitely has done some veering into just flat out telling telling stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, what are, other than the story that you um, shared about the girl with um, talking about the molestation, would you say that you have any other favorite risk stories that you remember you've probably recorded hundreds oh yeah we've you know at this point we've probably we've probably featured i don't know somewhere around i would say probably around 14 or 1500 stories have probably appeared on the podcast how long has it been running for now uh since the podcast started in october of uh 2009 Oh wow! Yeah, so so we're we're about nine years old, and uh, yeah, like, like, actually, we just put out a book. I know this. Yeah, I was gonna get to that. Yeah, it's called the Risk Book, and that features a few of our favorite stories. One of our all-time favorite stories is this one called "Slave" by Melina Williams Hawes, and. It's a the reason I find it so damn fascinating is because it touches not just on sexual taboos, but it touches on the really profound issue of racial tension in America. Um, have you ever heard this story I'm talking about? Um, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. It's about an hour long. It's an entire episode of Risk. It's called Slave. Melina is a black woman. She was raised in the projects in Harlem. And she grew up and became a kinkster. She's now one, uh, she's now a very well-known sex educator and kinkster and writer about issues around sex and BDSM. But she talks in it about how when she was a younger kinkster uh, in San Francisco in the 90s, she became very interested in a type of BDSM role-playing that is called race play, where someone's race is at the forefront of the role-playing, the dominance and submission. So... She, she, so she was interested in exploring being a black woman, like playing a submissive role. So it's in, a form of humiliation. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah, definitely. It was. She, she, at first, when she started doing it, it was very tongue in cheek. It was very jokey, of you know, the use of stereotypes and racial slurs and stuff like that with the people she was playing with. She she had a very hard time finding people who were willing to play with her in this way. Um, but the first couple of times, it was with men who were being very kind of jokey about it and kind of wink-wink and were able to kind of pull out of the scene and make sure she was okay, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that they were kind of laughing at some of this weird racial tension that was created by you know the the man using the n-word and stuff like that um but she graduated to trying a scene with a really really experienced kinkster who like 
knew how to use whips and was into constructing, you know, scenes that would last hours long. So they negotiated that they would play. He was from the South, so he could do a redneck accent. And she was like, well, yeah, let's go full on like pre-Civil War, you know, master slave sort of situation. And you're the cracker and I'm the slave girl sort of thing. And what happened was it was an ambush. He surprised her at a party. She didn't know it was going to happen that night. It was at a big BDSM party. So he ambushed her and surprised her and she was like oh oh, it's a scene okay we're doing this thing we're doing the race play now but he was so intense and it went on for so long and she was confused about the construct of the play she was confused about a lot of what he was saying Uh she wasn't getting it and she started to go into what they call subspace which is she went into a trance and kind of forgot that this wasn't a game. And her psyche started to lose track of the fact that she did have a safe word. So she started to really feel like she was a slave girl who was being whipped on a plantation and like started to just not be able to put together who she really was and, and, and had a little bit of a psychic break while doing this play. And it ended up being incredibly terrifying and traumatizing to her. So if you listen to the whole story, she really goes into the depths of terror that she was feeling and looking into a man's eye and seeing he doesn't see me as a human being Uh, and really feeling the full impact of Clearly something which is kind of embedded in our country's collective unconscious. You know what I mean? It's almost as if she was playing, they thought they were playing with something surfacey, but they were playing with something that's kind of in our DNA and in our, you know, in our unconsciousness. Um, and so it was terribly traumatic and they ended up having to like a few months later, like really go through a lot of, you know, Uh, asking for forgiveness and processing what the hell happened between the two of us during this play. But the way she tells it in the story on risk is incredibly engrossing. And it's fascinating because it's one of those risk stories that shows you, Hey, some of this kind of play is actually dangerous, not just in physical ways, but in psychological ways. And so you have to understand that there is real risk involved. Like when we talk about risk, because risk is called risk mostly because of the whole idea of risking revealing something to mm-hmm, people that mm-hmm. you might that they might not that they might judge you harshly for having revealed. <laughs> um, but it's also about taking risks in your life. You know, living life to the fullest and throwing caution to the wind sometimes. Uh, so there's a lot of stories on risk that talk about how I knew I might be making a mistake and it did end up being rather traumatizing, but I'm still kind of glad I went through it because I've experienced 
the highs and lows to an, to an extent to which I might not have before. So she ends that story by saying, I want to warn you, if you're going to take on something like race play, realize that there's psychologically a lot more to it than you might at first think. So it can be dangerous. And then she ends it by saying, but it can also be pretty hot. <laughs> so wow. that's what risk does. It's yeah. able to 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 like it's a balance. Yes, to see that there is that there are mixed feelings about things. Wow. Okay. So please, um, I've put the link in the description box below. So please make sure that you listen to that specific episode. Um, you also help people be able to tell stories. So basically, anybody can tell a story. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I mean. I, I always laugh because when I think of this, I think of um, uh, when, <laughs> what's his name? Placido Domingo, the opera singer. Yes. He decided he wanted to create a school for to teach people how to sing opera. And he was on camera at a rehearsal for the three tenors. So Pavarotti was standing right next to uh -huh. him. And, and Placido Domingo looked at the camera and he was like, I'm starting a school and I want everyone to know that literally anyone can become an opera singer. <laughs> and Pavarotti's standing right next to him and is just like, yeah, right. <laughs> but storytelling really is one of those things that yeah. pretty much anyone can do because we've all got it in our psychologies. Like storytelling is the means by which we make sense of just a day or, you know, uh, whatever experience we're going through. We're, we're always trying to figure out the beginnings and middles and ends of things that we're going through. And we're always trying to figure out, okay, what is the theme? What's the takeaway of what I'm going through right now? So it's just natural to us all. Like even the typical five-beat structure through which a lot of stories tend to move uh, that some people call the hero's journey or that sort of thing, uh, it, it's, it's something we all just initially recognize and will even just kind of unconsciously start telling stories like along those along that similar pattern. So yeah, it really is something that almost anyone can learn to do well. The key is to think of the moments in your life that you were most emotional. You know, the times when you were most obsessed with something or the times you were most you know, devastated or blissed out or um you know, uh, frightened, whatever it might be. And then kind of take a look, take a closer look at some of those moments. See if you can remember the actual incidents. See if you can remember the look in someone's eyes and the tone of your voice as you said something to them and the energy between your two bodies. And see if you can remember the smells in the air or the lighting or, or the temperature. Start bringing that stuff back to life and you will start to create a story, you know? Um, and, and people find it incredibly cathartic to do just the process of workshopping stories with us for risk because a person will share a first version and then we'll start asking questions. You know, it's just natural as a listener when you're listening to stories to think, I wonder what that guy's relationship with his mother is like. Or, yeah, yeah but 
did your best friend know that's what you were thinking? You know, you start asking them those sorts of questions and then they unpack even more. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's like therapy where a person will be like, oh, uh, yeah, it hadn't even occurred to me I should include how my relationship with my mother was. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden it takes on new depth. Yeah. I understand that. And what about, okay, so just I want to take it back to how you started with your story and talking about, you know, aspects about your sexuality. And now, after all these years of doing Risk and it turning into a podcast and a successful one at that, how do you think it has changed you or how do you think it's morphed you? And does your sexuality play a big role in this as well? Yes, it definitely, definitely, definitely does. You know, I didn't invent the phrase, don't yuck on my yum, uh, but I included it in one of my stories and it really made an impression on people. Like what the meaning of the phrase, don't yuck on my yum is, is beware of turning up your nose or speaking disparagingly or, you know, talking as if some, some other kink that someone has is disdainful in any way. You know what I mean? I I mean, as long as they're not doing something illegal or causing someone harm. Right, right, right. Um, So, yes, I mean, I have, all my life I've been a super, super, super sexual person and and I've used... Did you say super? (laughs) 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 And I've always had things where I'm like, oh my God, who can I share this story with? But I'm also the kind of guy who is kind of obsessed with sharing things. With everybody. <laughs> I like that. That's why, that's why we have podcasts, <laughs> Because there is something very freeing about it. And, and I think that, you know, so I've made myself a Pied Piper on the show. You know, I, I, I think that, like, for example, there was a story I told maybe a year ago now on the show about I I went to this all-male kink camp. And so it was about 300 men there, all very kinky men. And I spent the entire weekend all caught up in social anxiety. It was kind of amazing to me to, like, th- this is what the story is about. About just how in my head I was about... Oh, what if this guy doesn't like me? What if I don't like what he likes? What if he thinks I'm weird for liking this? It was so fascinating to be at a camp for four days with the freakiest of freaks and then still worrying about what a freak I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just there are some levels of shame and worry that are so ingrained in us that it's very difficult for a lot of us to know how to step off, you know? It's funny because I'm very much someone who believes in meditation, and it occurred to me after that weekend, wow, you had a whole weekend in the woods. It never, and you were worried the whole time, and it never occurred to you to just sit down and meditate on any one of those four days. Wow. It's amazing. So yeah, we we have ways of of 
our brains have ways of worrying without, you know, if if we don't pay close attention. But anyway, at one point during that that weekend, it's, there's a popular tradition at that gay kink camp for someone to be ambushed. What does that mean? <laughs> that means a, a, a group of guys kind of suss out what they think you might be able to handle or what they okay. think you might like. Mm-hmm. And then they tackle you and they kind of force... So some guys had learned that I liked water sports, that I liked stuff with pee, right? Okay, got it. And these two guys sent the signal to each other, let's ambush him. So they grabbed me. Does this happen like in the middle of the night, you're asleep? Or no, no. This was in the, <laughs> I was standing in the middle of a dungeon watching a couple of, there were two young guys who were suspended like marionettes. This guy was a ropes master and he had them up, up, you know, up above our heads like marionettes suspended in ropes. And he was playing with them like, like puppets. And I was watching that and I was talking to these two guys about how much I like water sports and they nodded at each other and then they got me in a headlock and they put my hands into handcuffs and they brought me outside and they threw me down on my knees in a grassy knoll and they invited a bunch of guys to come pee on me and pee in my mouth and the whole thing, right? <laughs> was so, this the first time this was happening for you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, wow. yes. It, well, no, I, I had done pee stuff before, but not like with a group of strangers. Um, it's kind of sexy. It was very, very fun and crazy and sexy. Like it was a whole bunch of things all at once. Yeah. There's an episode of Risk called The Best of Risk Number 12. Okay. And that uh, you can hear this story on that episode. But uh, let's see. I forget what your question was and what led me there. I was talking about like your like your sexuality invol- evolving. Oh, yeah. Because of the podcast. Yes. Yeah. I have definitely, you know, there are still things. There are still things that I'm not ready to talk about on the show. That That's another thing. People just assume that because of who I am and because of what I have shared on the show before, that, um, that I'm ready to share just about anything. And... I don't think that's true of anyone. I I talk to my therapist a lot and he'll often say things like, well, maybe in another five years you'll be ready to tell that particular one. And I think that's a very healthy way to be, to, to realize that we have lots of stories and it's important to really push ourselves to tell, you know, to be telling them. But there really are some that you might want to wait a while on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So... I have definitely evolved in that when I started Risk, you know, when I was 39 years old, I was directionless and I didn't know, like I literally didn't know if I was going to go on living. You know what I mean? Like, like I had considered suicide. I had been spending 12 years having an incredibly hard time getting my career up and running again and I had no money and I was drinking an awful lot and I was just like I don't know how to be my I don't know how to be my best and and make a living and then I discovered risk and I I realized oh my voice is just my voice My, my gift is simply to try to be me as much as I possibly can and not try to be anyone else so 
I think that over the years, it's been fascinating to, like, I'm now much more conscious of taking care of myself, trying to eat well, trying, you know, I no longer drink. I, you know, I still smoke pot, but I, I'm, you know, try to be very moderate with that and really live for a future because I can see what a difference risk has made in so many people's lives. And people are constantly telling me, oh my God, keep doing what you're doing. It's so helpful. So yeah, it, it's, it's, I've found a purpose in sharing as much as I feel I really can share about myself from month to month and helping other people to do the same. And there's, yeah, just something about that that is so profound that it's hard to put in words what it is, but it really does keep me going. So yeah, I do feel I've evolved. Good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And also, everyone is evolving with you. Mm-hmm. All your diehard, diehard fans. Um, what's... I vaguely remember hearing something that Risk is going to turn into a TV show. Is that something that we can look forward to? <laughs> well, we're talking to someone about it. You know, we've for a long time been talking about the possibility of doing a TV version of Risk. And we've actually said no to a lot of... Uh, network people Why? before well because there were cases where they wanted us to create something that was wildly different from the original risk that we've already created uh, but we now seem to have met someone who is very very in love with the show and is kind of determined to create a tv version that would be as true to the spirit of the original podcast as possible. So, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there's when I used to be on television with the state, we had a saying, and that was, you'll never know if you're going to be on TV until you're watching yourself on TV. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah. like, you could work and work and work on a sketch and have it greenlit and then have it shot and then edit it into the show. And then at the last minute, Budweiser was like, no, MTV, you can't show yeah, that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so the business of TV is very unpredictable. So whether or not risk ever has a tv show who knows <laughs> okay well i'm rooting for it because i love risk and yeah. now everybody who listens to the spread podcast has to love risk that's just how we go it's a, it's a dictatorship it's not a democracy <laughs> um so before i let you go I have a little segment on my podcast, which I call Your Questions Answered. And basically what I do is I pull up a question from one of our listeners. Yeah. And then we kind of just like go through it and figure out if there's a way that we're able to help some of these people. Sure. I have an issue. I've been masturbating since I was 14. I'm now 20 and I've never been interested in girls, though. Is it because of my masturbation? Guys in high school thought that I was gay, but I'm not. I'm now in campus and I don't have female friends. Is this something I should be worried about? Should I stop? I mean, I also have dreams of one day having a family. But anyway, once I tried stopping and I wasn't able to help. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I would say 
that well now the issue is, is this do we know is it a man or a woman it's a man and he is young and just like started campus so he's probably about 19 or 20 years old i gotcha yeah i would say this that i don't think masturbation ends up affecting uh all that much i mean it it, it depends on how you're masturbating like like i if if you get stuck on masturbating on for example like a really really niche kind of porn that i think can be rather unhealthy you know it with any sexual practice i think it's a good idea to like mix it up every now and then so you know if you're used to masturbating one way try it a little bit differently or you know if you're used to masturbating with looking at porn trying not looking at porn and just going back into your imagination um you know like i think that men especially they say are a little bit less flexible uh they tend to get a little bit more into a rut of a habit of how they're doing things so it's just a good idea to nudge yourself to take a couple days off of masturbating try masturbating in a different way try masturbating to images or ideas that you're not used to thinking about you know like just mix it up and I don't think that masturbating ultimately is going to affect all that much your orientation. Um, uh, I, I also don't think that there are any hard and fast rules about, like, for example, he said, I would like to create a family one day. Well, you could create a family, you know, whether you were in a long-term relationship with a man or a woman or someone who's, you know, gender non-binary and, you know, you could be in a monogamous relationship or an open relationship. Like there aren't, like, I think people get too stuck on the idea that it's black or white, whereas there's, there's some leeway about how a family can be formed nowadays and about how a relationship can be defined and, you know, explored. Yeah, I agree. I also feel sometimes that there's many things that we don't talk about, like it being okay for you not to be sexually attracted to anybody, for example. And a lot of those conversations get left out a lot because I've, had a lot of women approach me um, thinking that because they're in a heterosexual relationship, wanting to be, just because I'm openly queer, wanting to use me as an experiment to see if they may be like women. Like, maybe if I slept with you, then I would understand if I liked women. Um, so one, no. But two, <laughs> <laughs> but two, also, it's possible that you're just not interested in anybody. It's, you know, asexuality is a thing. And I think even asexuality in itself is a taboo you know over and above in kenya homosexuality being something that's um very wildly frowned upon but also illegal Mm. so asexuality is a conversation that's not had um amongst young people amongst anybody but it's also something that i think people should start to think about maybe you're just in a situation where you're not attracted to anyone and it's very hard for people who are young to be able to understand that so yes there is a very good friend of mine i know who considers herself asexual 
but who has been in a long-term relationship with a man for, oh, I don't know, at least a decade, uh, and they're very happy. Um, I don't know what his deal is, but, you know, uh, she considers herself asexual. There have been two people who have shared stories on risk about their journey into coming to embrace the, you know, the label of asexual for themselves. And it's interesting. It, with both of those people, it's like it's not like they haven't had any sexual experiences. Um, it's just that, you know, they, they are comfortable now in their lives with saying, well, I'm not especially, you know, aiming for this or that that most people seem to have defined as what sexual is, you know? Yeah. yeah. So... So yeah, it's, it's, I know that it's very comforting to fit into a categorization or a label, but I think that, I think that we're in this interesting place right now with the, it it seems almost as if we're in another sexual revolution, basically, where people are kind of learning that thing, most things are not so black and white, but that there's gray area. So that, you know, like for example, on Risk recently, there have been a couple of stories shared by gay men who then, you know, like I th- this, I did this myself recently where, not recently, a couple of years ago, I had an experience with a trans guy who uh, still had, the female equipment downstairs. Wow, Kevin. As a very highly evolved human being, you said female equipment downstairs. Vagina. Repeat after me. I know, that was my old Midwestern Ohio in shining through. But yeah, and we and we recently had someone on risk, uh, another you know gay man in his thirties, I think, share a similar story about that. And what's fascinating, his name was Luke, Lucas Brooks, and his story was pretty recently about being with someone who uh, had a vagina, uh, <laughs> and really coming to realize, oh fuck, you know, I labeled myself homosexual and really kind of accepted society's idea that then I'm only supposed to do such and such thing and be attracted to such and such thing. But when push came to shove, I had a wonderful time with that person. You know what I mean? Like, like, so yeah, there's a lot about labels that's a little bit, um, it's dangerous to look at them as being like, musts or you know look at them as like hard fast rules for how things are going to work yeah yeah i agree completely and also just keeping in mind that people are always going to call you names even though they don't understand uh, you know what those names mean yeah sometimes it's just you know for fun or sometimes it's just projecting yeah um, but just always remember to stay true to yourself I think, yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, and don't be afraid of opening up to people that you trust about these things, you know, because what I've found, you know, having had so many sexual experiences in my life, I I have found that 
there are, there are eureka moments all the time. You know, I'll, I'll be with, like, for example, for a long time, I was like, oh, I like younger guys, you know, and that's just me. I like younger guys. And then I like slept with this guy who was, I think about 60 or, or even older. And it was just an amazing experience. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. There's my idea that I, I labeled myself as being, having a certain, and it's good to kind of like step outside of, of your own prejudices sometimes. And a lot of what it takes is feeling like you can experiment with people and feeling like you can open up and share with people that you trust. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage this young man to like keep, keep doing that as well. You know, like, like find people with whom he can have the conversation that we're having right now. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. I think that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much. This is a pleasure. (laughs) I really appreciate you being on here. And I really look forward to what Risk has to offer. And for those of you guys who want to buy the book, there's an online version. Am I right? There's an e-book version. There's an audio book version. And there's a paperback version. It's just called Risk by Kevin Allison. But there's a bunch of stories. Like that one we were talking about earlier, Slave by Melina Williams-Haas, is in the book as well. And you can find anything about the Risk book or the Risk podcast at risk-show.com. Got it. And the link is below. If you click on that, it'll just take you directly there. Thank you so much. Thank you. had such a great time. You are such a wonderful person. And good luck with everything that the future has to bring. Thanks so much. All right. Bye, guys. So, guys, please don't forget to follow us on at the spread pod on all of your social media networks or rather Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have questions that you would like for us to answer on the podcast right here, please send them into host at the and we will be very happy to share our opinions with you. Till next week, bye. That's why I just wanna lay down my body and just expose myself to you, oh baby. So lay down your body and just expose yourself to me too. Because I want your love, will you give me love? Make my dream a reality.